Hey friends, it's Mark James and today is Friday the 23rd of February. We are a few days late on this week and I mean over a week late if you were expecting a podcast last week and you'd have been right to expect a podcast last week. I was expecting one but then life just got in the way like it sometimes does. I'm also joined in the living room by Doc Brown. Sarah is at work, Joshua is walking from school to the computer game shop where he plays Xbox inside of their store and waits for Sarah to finish work on occasion. Um, It's like a club thing that he's part of. I'm sure I mentioned it before. So that's pretty good. So I finally got time to sit down and do some recording. Uh, I wouldn't if I can get Doc to join in. Doc, are you going to talk on the pod? Who's that? Who's that? He'll bark. He'll, He'll certainly... Doc, who's that? What is it? Who's that? Come on, dude. Give me a little bark. Come here. Who's that? Who is it, Doc? Who's that? He's not having it. I hope you heard him bark a little bit. Doc. What's that? Who is it? Who's... <laughs> oh, he's not having it. Normally, I can't get him to stop barking. But now I think he knows. Like, I'm not a performing monkey. Don't just, you know, try and trigger me to... Who's that? <laughs> I did it. I got him to bark again. So anyway... I'm currently uploading a video from Nashville of one of my routines, which got a lot better while I was there for various different reasons. Um, I might try and describe how that happened so that magicians who listen to this understand what I did, uh, but that it doesn't necessarily expose or ruin anything to people who aren't magicians. What I'll basically say very, very quickly before I... Because I'll forget to say. So for magicians... One of the funny things that happens when you do a show a lot, and not just a lot of times in a year, but a lot of times in a week. Alexa, set the heating to 10. Way too hot in here. When you do a show a lot of times in a week, like crazy repetition, three, four, five, six shows a night. One of the things that happens is that you become hyper aware of the tiny moments that pay off or that don't pay off when you want them to. So there's a part in the routine that I do with eight sign cards. What are you barking at now? We're all good. Chill, buddy. Uh, There's a part that I do in a routine where eight sign cards go into my various pockets, uh, you know, magically and invisibly to the surprise and entertainment of the audience. Doc, shut up, man. Um, Oh, my God, I've started. Doc, in your bed. Go on. Now relax. Uh, Go into my pockets to the surprise and delight of the audience. And one of the cards takes a detour and ends up being pulled out of my fly. You know, my middle zipper, the the pecker pocket, as someone described it in America. One of the cards comes out of there. And if that card is an ace, then after it's come out, I'll say, and that's what we call an ace in the hole for an extra laugh. Or if that card is a low-numbered card... I'll say, um, I know that was a two of hearts, but if anyone asks, would you mind telling him it was the five? And that will get a laugh. And if the card's a high-numbered card, I'll say, you know, I bet you can't believe that was a nine. And they'll laugh. You know, there's, there's a few different ways to make a laugh. The one place that I cannot get a laugh is if the card happens to be a jack, a queen, or a king. There's really no, no line for that or not a good one that I've been able to think of. So after I was doing the show three and four and five and six times a night, 
it really occurred to me how often I happen to have a card come out that is a king or a jack or a queen. Um, and I was disappointed. So I thought, I need to alter something about the trick that allows me to always make sure it's a low-numbered card. And when I examined the moment, I realised that prior to that happening, there's a little bit where I count that there are still six cards remaining. Um, magicians, all I'm saying is Alex Elmsley would be proud. So I Alex Elmsley my way to showing that there are still six cards. But in order to achieve that, the backs of the cards have to be to the audience. But because this is a stage trick, in order to show the backs of the cards to the audience, the faces of the cards have to be towards me, unlike close-up where the faces of the cards are down at the ground and both the audience and the performer are looking at the backs of the cards simultaneously. On stage, it's slightly different. And I realised that when I'm looking at the cards, I can then, before I close the cards up, reorient things in a way that means that the card that's going to come out of my fly will always be a low-numbered card. I can put them in the in an order that will allow that to happen in that moment, and it adds nothing to the um, it adds nothing to the handling of the trick. It's very easy to make that happen, but it adds everything to the um, to the performance of the trick because it allows for a whole new. A whole new huge laugh. Someone was outside uh, the, in the street then and I thought they were coming to my door. So anyway, very quick, I hope, explanation of that that will make sense. But that's, Doc, shut up, man. That's something that will only happen when you do the show a monumental amount of times uh, in a row. So if you want to see the routine that I'm talking about, then, unfortunately, this is a recording that I've just uploaded from before I made this discovery. But nonetheless, the performance of this particular trick is still uh, very good. And a lot of great things happened in it. And it's new and improved when I did it at the Magic Castle. And I've literally, as we've been talking, finished uploading it to YouTube. And it's on there. So if you search card to pockets, it should say cards to pockets, really, by Mark James, live in Nashville. You are more than welcome to do so. Go look it up. Cards to Pockets. Uh, I'm going to change the name of it now. Cards to Pockets by Mark James, live in Nashville. Uh, go and give it a little look and you can see exactly what I mean. I might upload the full show, you know, I haven't decided yet. But I'm very pleased with that particular performance. So let me just finish off this little job and close YouTube. And then I can focus on talking to you about um it appears i've already uploaded a show as well i wonder it's not the same one as this it's a valentine's day show i wonder which show this is hold on one sec sorry to uh, do this to your friends because i know sarah's gonna rage about this pay no attention to that hand let's do it i'll know you as soon as i Say that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this we are going to need a simple piece of polka dotted cloth. What's your name? Chip. Chip. Okay, it's not. It's a different performance that I've already uploaded. Anyway, so that's up there. And if you want to see it, go and see it. Search Cards to Pockets by Mark James. And uh, the video will appear. And you can look at it. Right, I've got notes. Um, 
You can thank uh, the one and only Mr. Bartholomew Simpson for the existence of this podcast today. Because he messaged me saying, oh, I thought there might have been a podcast this week so far. Uh, I'm guessing you're busy, but hoping you're well. Very nice way to do that. Very kind of him to wish me well and check in. Uh, He knows, as well as many of you do, that if the podcasts go missing for a few weeks, sometimes that's due to a lack of... Disorder, a lack of organisation from me, and sometimes it's due to some emotional uh, chaos that I'm, you know, going through. I, I seem to have set the dog up on a bit of a watchdog scenario now by getting him to bark. So now he's standing on the top of various things in the living room, the windowsill, the edges of the chairs, and looking out on the street. And anytime anything happens, he's going mad because he's hyper alert. Doc, come here. So I'm going to calm him down. Come here. Come on. Come here, you're a good boy. It's okay, you can relax, buddy. Good boy, right, come get in your bed. Okay, so let's talk about uh, everything that happened on the trip to Nashville. It kind of starts the Friday before. Uh, the Friday, which was Friday the 9th of February, because Joshua finished school and had to go to... Um, my mum's in order for us to go to Nashville without him. Nashville, we thought, by the way, was very much not a place for children, having been there before. But on this occasion, we realised that kids were allowed in bars and stuff until 8pm. And they weren't all still super accommodating, but they also weren't a pain either. And it made us make the decision that we will never go to Nashville without him again. And, you know, he's grown into going to lots of places over the years. As we've gone to America more and more, the first few times that we went to L.A., he never came. But now he's been to L.A. twice in the last year. The first time we went to Chicago, he never came. But now he's been to Chicago. The first time we went to Nashville, of course, he never came. The second time, we still didn't think it was appropriate. But from now on, and I'm looking to go back there quite soon, we will always take him with us. We're always going to try and uh, broaden his horizons and take him to as many places as we can, provided we know that it will be appropriate for him when he gets there. So he had to go to my mom. So Friday, I drove up there and... um, Joshua was late out of school and I didn't know why. This, by the way, is going to be about a (laughs) three-parter. No doubt. Joshua was late out of school and I didn't know why. He got in the car and he was seemed to be very nervous. And I'm saying, what's wrong? And his friend at school had had an asthma attack. And he was talking about his friend having had an asthma attack. And he was very worried about him and he said that he'd taken him to the office and I said well does your friend not have an inhaler and he said he does but they keep it in the office and I said surely if your friend is prone to asthma attacks then he should have his inhaler with him so that he can deal with it immediately or presumably prevent an asthma attack happening by using the inhaler when he starts to feel you know the the asthma attack on set Joshua said, I don't really know. I just know that he had one and I was really worried about him. And Joshua was like edgy about it. Anyway, I find out over a week later, the night before he goes back to school, that he's told Sarah in the meantime and genuinely believed he'd told me upon questioning, but had not told me, just thought that he had in the description of what had happened in his, you know, slight panic. But the reason his friend had had an asthma attack is because... His friend had given Joshua a beanie hat and a marble to hold. 
and Joshua had put the marble inside of the beanie and swung it round and then hit his friend on top of the head with it, with a beanie with a marble in it, which is not quite uh, the thing that Ray Watts-his-name does. Is it Ray Winston? In Scum, when he puts the pool balls inside of a sock and uses it to go and attack a bully and then says, I'm the fucking daddy now. <laughs> and he becomes daddy of the Borstal. It's not quite that. It's a marble in a beanie. But getting whacked on the head with a marble in a beanie is what caused his friend the distress that led to upset and the upset that led to an asthma attack. And I can understand very easily how these things happen, how someone can be overwhelmed by the surprise and in pain. And if they have asthma, can be triggered into that sort of thing. You know, fair enough. So I said to Joshua the night before he's going back to school, you really need to text your friend and apologise and say you didn't mean to hurt him and you're very sorry and you hope you can still be friends. And it's really because he, he heard from a mutual friend that his friend was fuming with him and didn't want to talk to him anymore. And I said to him, this could have been avoided had you apologised last week. Why didn't you tell me? And he goes, I did tell you in the car. I promise you, friends, he did not tell me. Because had he told me, I would have obviously told him to be proactive right there and then and apologise immediately and basically nip it in the bud before his friend spent, you know, eight or nine days absolutely fuming with him. And then, so he did apologise and his friend ignored it. And then he went to school the next day and he apologised again. And his friend basically blanked him. And I said to him, you know what, kid, now it's just going to take time because your friend has been pissed off with you for nine days without you apologising. So you can't expect to just spin it around with a single sorry in 20 minutes. You know, it's just not how things work. The length of time that it takes for him now to forgive you will probably be equal, if not more, to the length of time it took you to seek forgiveness. That's just life. So you got to wait. So Joshua was upset about that, which is also fair enough. But I also think he's kind of architect of his own misfortune because he made that happen. And, you know, he whacked his friend with a marble, not thinking. And, you know, we've all made errors of judgment. God, I've done plenty of things that I severely regret when it comes to friendships and, you know, all sorts of things. Pointless arguments and uh, fallouts I've had and stupid things I've done. And, you know, when I was a kid, just the amount of times you would fall out with your friends over nothing or do something stupid because you thought it'd be funny in the moment or, you know, whatever... Um, so I get it, Joshua's 12, you know, he'll make mistakes, I just wish that he dealt with it slightly differently, or that he had actually communicated it to me more quickly, so that I could have told him how to deal with it more quickly in that moment, so, yeah, ridiculous, um, anyway, so we get to my mum's, and I'm, normally straight into my mum's fridge. Now, as I've told you on many occasions before, my mum has the dream fridge of your average teenager. It is full of uh, various drinks and cans of, mini cans of pop and all that sort of stuff and fruit juices and whatnot. But also she has a huge drawer filled with chocolate bars that she barely ever eats. And then just like sort of really easy to make things because, you know, my mum's 75 and she doesn't really want to be arsing about in the kitchen. But between me and you, she was never much of a cook to begin with. <laughs> 
<laughs> Joshua does not know the f fortune that he's grown up with to have Sarah be as good at cooking as she is. Sarah is honestly chef level cooking. She is a fantastic cook and really, really, really knows how to get flavour into stuff and cooks amazing things often against the odds, you know, on holiday, one hob, no pans, you know, when the gas was off and she had to cook everything outside on the barbecue, just like, she's unbelievable, she can make anything out of anything with anything, she's brilliant, now I appreciate it, because I grew up in a house where um, my mother did not really cook, my dad could cook a bit, but was away a lot, and so... I used to eat a lot of egg and chips when I was a kid because cooking was not my mum's thing. And she knows that, by the way. <laughs> she would not be shocked to hear this. But now she cooks herself very easy to make stuff. She has like a um, tiered steam cooker thing. She has an air fryer. She basically bailed off her oven. She doesn't even have an oven anywhere, anymore. She's got a microwave and a toaster and a kettle. Basically, there are plenty of ways to cook stuff without an oven. But the only thing she's really missing is probably a sous vide machine. <laughs> anyway, oh, my tea. Isn't it funny how tea is lovely hot, but disgusting cold? Unless, of course, it's iced tea, which I don't like either, but people do drink cold. But iced tea doesn't typically have milk in. Anyway, let's not get into this. I'm pouring myself a Pepsi Max, which is cold on purpose. But isn't it funny that Pepsi Max is great cold, but horrible warm? It's very interesting how um, temperature affects the enjoyment of various drinks. So, I dropped Joshua off at my mum's straight after school. Don't dive in the fridge because I'm dieting and I'm not eating until on the plane, basically. I'm doing a two-day fast before we go to Nashville because I want to get under 280 pounds because I was back to uh, 297 pounds or something like that. So anyway, I managed it. I got to 280 when we, uh, as we got on the plane, uh, the morning that we were getting on the plane, I got to 280 pounds and I'm going to continue to go further. But I've had a few days off, to be honest, since we got back. I did work hard in Nashville still and didn't overeat. We had plenty of delicious stuff though, as I'm going to come on to tell you. But um, yeah, I drove back to home and then Saturday we woke up and Sarah was off work and I didn't have any work or anything on Saturday. All we had to do was drive to London and get to a travel lodge. And we were planning to do it sort of quite early on so that we didn't end up getting to the travel lodge at 11 o'clock at night and could have a bit more time. As it turned out, <laughs> the day before, I'd realised that my brand new shoes I'd bought didn't have any shoelaces in. I'd taken out and thrown the shoes, the shoelaces away, planning to replace them with the elastic fake shoelaces that I use. I have these shoelaces on all of my dress shoes, which are uh, brown rubber, like they're only about two inches long, these things, and you poke them in either side of the shoelace holes and they stay there because they've got little T-junction things on the ends. But it makes it look like your shoes have got laces in them, but in fact, they are stretchy pieces of rubber that allow you to fully stretch open the front and get your foot in and out easily. And that's obviously way better for doing shows and stuff. You don't want to have shoelaces. These things are ideal. So I realized I didn't have any in these 
new shoes. And I had some pretty beat up older shoes, but I didn't want to wear those. Um, but you can't take the laces out of them. Once they're in, they're basically impossible to get out because the T-junction thing doesn't allow you to pull it back out without breaking it or without cutting the shoe holes open. So I had to order some new ones and I ordered them from Amazon the night before and they said they would come the next day. Well, of course, the next day, the delivery window that I get is five until 7.30 at night. And then of course, when it gets to 4.30, it moves for, to six to eight. So I know that the shoelaces are not coming until at least half seven until eight. And um, they did, but it meant that we obviously ended up setting off late and where we wanted to be at the travel lodge quite early, just so we could just have time and not be stressed out or, you know, maybe go out for some food or whatever, even though I wasn't going to eat until the plane. Once I'd got weighed at home, I kind of was pretty set on the fact that, well, this is what it's going to be. But um, we didn't end up getting to the travel lodge until after 11. And even that was a bit of a disaster because the travel lodge was a motorway travel lodge and there were two sides to the motorway it was on was it the m4 i think it was the m4 and there was westbound and eastbound sides but i hadn't read any specification about this when i'd booked it so we get to the travel lodge and we get all of our stuff out of the car now we haven't got that much actually because i'd driven down and sarah had driven down in the clothes that we were planning to wear the very next day to fly because of course we'd packed loads of clothes and we were all set and we were only getting in the car and driving four hours and then as soon as we got in the travel lodge we were taking all of our clothes off and getting in bed so we decided what would be good is to just drive in the clothes we were going to wear and then all we would need to take into the hotel was wash bags and Sarah and I both have uh, two wash, you know, spares of everything. I have mentioned this before, but I have a wash bag which lives in the suitcase to go away with, which has got gel, deodorant, uh, moisturizing cream, toothpaste, toothbrush, mouthwash, all of the stuff I could possibly need. And then I have another one which stays in the car predominantly um, as a, you know, spare for if I end up having to stay away on a gig or whatever in the UK. And then I have all of that stuff again a third time, which lives in the bathroom. And that's honestly a dream setup because it eradicates so much stress. Even though you use the same five items to get ready every day, toothpaste, toothbrush, moisturizer, hair gel, deodorant, uh, aftershave, six items. Even though you use all of those things, you're never quite sure you've packed them. You always feel like you must have left something. So having them permanently set up to go away with is really, honestly, worth doing. So I've got my in-the-car wash bag, and my going-away wash bag is in the suitcase, and then my use-everything-at-home is still at home because I've gotten ready with it before we set off for the drive. Anyway... We get those things out of the car. Sarah's got a couple of extra bits because, you know, that's how we roll. She's also got a bag with the scales in because I wanted to bring the scales from the home bathroom so that I could get weighed in the hotel the morning that we left to make sure that I'd gotten down to £280. So that's exactly what we did. We took the scales with us as well. Anyway, we'd go into the services and we'd buy some bits and bobs, some drinks and stuff. Sarah got a hot chocolate that she poured a Baileys into. I love it when she does this, by the way. She always has these tiny little bottles that, I suppose, you know the kind of size bottle 
that you would put that you would get like a turmeric shot in or a ginger shot that they now sell in Starbucks. She has like a little bottle like that or similar and it's got Baileys in it. And whenever we're going anywhere where we're staying away, she will get a hot chocolate from Starbucks or from Costa and then she'll pour the Baileys into it and says it's delicious. And I, I mean, obviously I believe her. It looks delicious. So, but I don't really like uh, Bailey's that much, so I never have it. But she's done that. We've got in the uh, hotel. We've gone to check in. And the guy's gone, oh, I'm sorry, you're at the wrong hotel. You're staying in the one that is on the other side of the motorway. And I said, right. The two hotels are sort of connected, though, aren't they? And he went, yeah. And I went, so you've got rooms. And he went, mm-hmm. And I said, so can you not just transfer us from the hotel over the road and we stay here instead? Surely it's basically the same and it's already after 11. So nobody's going to book last minute for one of these rooms now. It's, it's like 20 past 11. And he went, oh, I could have done that. But the person who can actually do it and authorise it, the manager, left at 10. So we're a bit out of luck. So I say to him, whoever decided these rules and built two hotels on opposite sides of the motorway that happen to be in the same postcode is a piece of shit. <laughs> and the guy laughs. Uh, and Sarah said, you were too aggressive in there. And I said, I wasn't I was saying aggressive words, but I said them with a smile on my face and laughing and it made him laugh. So I think it was all right. But anyway, so we get in the car and I felt bad because then Sarah had to drink a lovely pre-prepared Baileys in the car rather than the hotel, which is what she would have really wanted. Never mind. Wake up the next day. It's now Sunday. And the parking situation that I've sorted out is a dream. I highly recommend this. If you're from the UK, there is this thing, this app you can get. And the app is called Your Parking Space. And you go on the app, you set yourself up an account... You can use Apple Pay on it and all that sort of stuff. And you basically type in the postcode of the place that you eventually want to be. So in my case, it's usually Villa Park, Aston Villa's stadium. Or in this case, it was Heathrow Airport. But, you know, you type in the postcode of the place that you want to be and it will show you all of the parking spaces, private parking spaces. So we're talking... Um, private car parks and stuff, but mainly people's houses, the driveway on a person's house or yard. And you've already put in the dates that you want to park and the times you want to park. And it just tells you all you get is a map and the map has got dots on it and the dots have got written on them the price that it will be to park in that spot. So you can see the proximity to where you're trying to go. Anyway, I found this guy called Canwall who lived in uh, Staines-on-Thames, which is like a mile and a half away from Heathrow Airport in a regular, nice, bungalow-style house with a drive big enough for three cars. And Heathrow Airport's actual parking for the 10 days that we needed was going to be £147.50. Whereas to park with Canwall for the 10 days that we needed, or 11 days, was going to be £44.50. So it's quite a big saving. We saved over £100 by parking on this guy's drive. And we literally, you just drive up. The guy gets all the details sent to him immediately through the app that he's got to book in. He gets the money sent to him. All of that jobs are good. 
and you can read reviews of people who've parked there before. Loads of people who parked there before were like um, staff for airlines and stuff. You know, they'd found him before. So I knew it was going to be safe and all good. We pulled up. He was a lovely guy. Offered us a coffee. Did we want to come in and have a drink or anything? Which was above and beyond. You wouldn't expect that, really. It's never happened before. But um, then he explains to us where to get the bus to the airport. He pulls out a bus timetable. He's obviously done this before. It's not his first rodeo. And he says, so the bus is a minute round that corner and it'll be here in 12 minutes and it costs £3.20 and it'll drop you right outside of Heathrow Terminal 5. So we go, brilliant. So we walk around the corner. Literally, we get on the bus, go to Heathrow, off we get job is an absolute good i was so happy it was smooth as anything um and then same again when we picked it up lovely guy was waiting on the drive for us with the keys because we told him we we're a couple of minutes away and i uh, got straight in the car and drove off and it was just fantastic if i was flying out of heathrow again which no doubt i will i would absolutely park on this guy's drive again super cheap if you want to look the service up it's called your parking space and it's an app and uh, I well recommend it. Honestly, it's first class. There's probably stuff like this in other countries too. But um, in the UK, it's your parking space. So do give it a look. It's really good. So we get the airport and uh, we check in and we're straight through customs and all of that. We're actually really early. We're over three hours away from the flight. Now, you should get there, apparently, three hours before an international flight to make sure that you don't have any delays. Honestly... It, it It is very early. It it always feels too early. But I also never want to get there an hour before and have problems or anything. But it does always feel too early to me, three hours. But never mind. We start walking around inside of the airport, just checking everything out and, you know, looking in all the shops and just wasting your time, basically. Wasting your time, but trying not to waste too much money. And... As we're walking, Sarah and I, I see a guy about to come past us out the corner of my eye. And I know that I know him. And I also know that his name is Ben. Those two bits of information occur to me simultaneously. Oh, that's Ben. <laughs> I know that guy. It's Ben. And so as he's about to come past me, I reach out and I put my hand on his shoulder and I go, hey, Ben, how are you? And he stops and goes, hey, how's it going? And as I say those words and he says hello and we're square face to face now, it occurs to me that it is Ben Shepherd from the television. Now, if you are not from the UK, you probably have no, well, you certainly have no idea who Ben Shepherd is. But if you are from the UK, you 100%, without question, undoubtedly, definitely know who Ben Shepard is. For Americans, Ben Shepard is like Regis Philbin, Ryan Seacrest, Steve Harvey famous. You know, those kind of shows, everybody knows who they are because they present a bunch of different light entertainment shows on various platforms. That's who Ben Shepard is. So then I've shocked myself going, oh, fuck, it's Ben Shepard from the telly. But my knowing him was not unwarranted. I do know him in real life. I wouldn't go as far as to stretch and say we're buddies. I don't have his number in my phone, but I definitely know him. 
because he presents a British TV show called Tipping Point, which is a game show. And I did the warm up for the audience on that same show. So Ben and I have met in real life on multiple occasions. Uh, we've talked in real life on many occasions. And he even very kindly actually once wrote a tweet which tagged me um, praising what a great warm up I was for Tipping Point and the, how happy I kept the audience on, you know, the hottest day of the year and all that sort of stuff. And it was very kind of him. So he's a lovely man. So anyway, I've stopped this guy, realised he's a celebrity, then pivoted back again to realising he's a celebrity that I have actually met. And then I say, so how are you? <laughs> and he goes, yeah, how are you? And I remind him where he knows me. He didn't ask me to, and maybe he realised, but I always find it's better in these situations to go, hey, we met before, remember? Tipping point, warm up. Oh, of course, Mark, how are you? You know, it was one of them. Uh, he introduces Sarah and I to his son. I then introduce Sarah to Ben. Sarah, I can tell already, is weak at the knees. <laughs> Sarah really, it turns out, fancies Ben Shepherd quite a lot. And you know what? He's a handsome dude. He's a little short, but he's very handsome. And also, he's incredibly fit. You know, gym fit, he does runs and cycles and he presents a TV show called Ninja Warrior in the UK. And uh, I know there's an American Ninja Warrior too, but um, which I think, by the way, is secondary to the UK one. And the reason I think that is because it's called Ninja Warrior USA. And if it was just a USA product, it would just be called Ninja Warrior, right? I wonder which one came first. I'm going to Google this. Hold on. Hmm. Putting down my Pepsi so that I can Google which Ninja Warrior came first, UK or USA. I bet it says Sweden. Okay, the series premiered on 2009, um, American Ninja Warrior, and in the UK it started in... Oh, hold on. I could be wrong here. I could be wrong. Yep, 2015. So, American Ninja Warrior did come first. Anyway, Ben Shepard presents Ninja Warrior in the UK. And um, so he's very fit and handsome and a lovely, lovely person too. He has a very kind face and um, Sarah fancies him quite a bit. And I could tell as soon as I looked at her, I could tell she was positively weak at the knees looking at him, which made me laugh. And then we walked off and I said, that was nice, wasn't it? And she said, God, isn't he handsome? <laughs> like, I'm standing right here, babe. Jesus. Anyway, funny. And it was nice to see him. And uh, he was very gracious and did talk to us for, you know, a minute or two, which I thought was very, um, very nice. Uh, Sarah has, um, what's it called? Sarah has sent me a heart, um, which is kind. So um, that was in response to what I said about a plan that we're doing of getting ready. Oh, so let's fly to Nashville. Now we get on the flight and it's not quiet, but it's also not busy. Almost every row has got people in, which is quite different on the way back. On the way back, the flight was nearly empty. But on the way there, every row has got people in. 
But you know that moment, that absolutely unreal moment when you are sitting with the person that you're sitting with and there's a spare seat in between you and at this point, you know, technically a spare seat on the end, but Sarah had left the space in between. Actually, had she? I don't know. No, there was a seat in the window that was free. We were sitting in our two proper seats at this minute. And you can't see anybody in the corridor coming down towards you. And you hear the pilot or the, you know, head steward person say across the mic, uh, cabin doors, blah, 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 uh, boarding complete. And you think, fuck me. Nobody else is getting on this plane we are, we're good. All right, had a short break then, and I am back. Oh, little stretch. So the flight was quiet, had room, the doors closed, nobody was coming down the aisle. Job was a good, I keep saying that phrase, job's a good, and I'm going to cut that out of my vocabulary. We were very happy. Things were good. Then the food came and the food was all right. And then we got, I got a little bit of a sleep. I don't think Sarah slept. Sarah really struggles to sleep on planes. I managed to sleep for a couple of hours, but not that we really needed it because it was daytime. Uh, it was going to be a long day and night, but that was fine. Um, we did get like a breakfast roll thing before we landed, which was disgusting. I mean, honestly, horrendous. They bring you these kind of lattice pastry rolls with this chicken. It's it's like chicken tikka, but it's meant for breakfast. Honestly, it was just disgusting. Really terrible. Sarah got one as well. She got the vegetarian option and hers was even worse than mine. So, BA, please just stop with these shitty lattice pastry roll things. They're terrible. We do not approve. <laughs> we landed in Nashville and uh, we're in the immigration queue. And it's really funny, right? I normally, because you just want to, you want to sail through immigration, don't you? You don't want to get pulled to one side or asked further questions or any of that stuff, purely based on the fact that it's a total ball ache that adds time and unnecessary worry onto your trip. You know, we were flying to Chicago with Joshua. We got pulled into an extra interrogation and then we get in there and the guy goes, right, these questions are for you, Joshua. And then he tells me and Sarah that we can't talk and we get like the whole extra questioning thing. So I'm really thinking, oh, I can't be bothered with this again. I hope that uh, we don't have to do any of that because it's just a waste of time. And also the Super Bowl has started as we're in the airport. And, we're, and I know it's a three and a half hour event, but we ideally want to get to our hotel, get out, get showered or whatever, and get back into town to actually watch some of it. So... I'm thinking about all this stuff and I'm usually planning when they say, why are you in this place, LA or Nashville or Chicago, whatever. I'm usually planning some funny line. I always think about the thing that they say in Oceans 11 or Oceans 12 or maybe Oceans 13, where they're prepping Matt Damon to speak to Robbie Coltrane or someone. And he he says, how should I be? And they say, you should be charming, but instantly forgettable. So something that's funny, but not like, I'm going to remember that you said that. So I always plan to say something when they go, why are you here? I'll always say something like, well, the official reason is a holiday, but actually, or, you know, the official reason is work, but actually I'm here for, and then insert the name of a famous place to eat, Mastaco or... Uh, if in Chicago, some big pizza place, Pequod's or um, what's it called? Luminalties or something like that. 
and then they go, all oh, right, okay, <laughs> have a nice time, boom, you're through. So we get to the immigration guy and he goes, where are you from? Which they never ask that. They always say, why are you here? And he went, where are you from? And I went, Manchester. He'd actually said, where have you flown from? And I went, and we always fly from Manchester because it's near where we live. And I go, Manchester. And I go, but we're from Preston. And then Sarah goes, we flew from Heathrow. And I go, oh yeah, that's right. We did fly from Heathrow. And then he looks at me a bit weird and I went, we normally fly from Manchester because it's where we live near Preston. But this time we flew from Heathrow and now we're in Nashville. Look at us go. <laughs> and I've absolutely spilled my guts. We're doing absolutely nothing suspicious. But all of a sudden, I've become the most suspicious person going. I just have lost my shit altogether. All my cool has blown out of the window. But to be honest, I was a bit annoyed because when they were separating people into queues, there's four or five different immigration agents who are running the passport check thing. And there's a guy in between the two queues and them who's telling people which number to go to next. And the two queues are people with American passports and people who do not have American passports. So we're in the not American passports queue. But the guy is letting, even though the non-American passports queue is quite a lot longer, he is letting Americans go to the tune of three or four to every one non-American. Now, I understand we're in America and, you know, Americans get priority treatment or whatever. But it was so unbalanced that the American queue was completely empty by the time we'd barely moved forward. And the second anyone else came in the American queue and he wasn't checking passports, we could have gone in the American queue and they'd been sent to an immigration agent and nobody would have ever realised. It wasn't like you went to a different place or anything. It just pissed me off. So by the time we got to the immigration guy, I was actually quite annoyed and I'd been moaning about it in the queue and other people had been nodding along and agreeing. Uh, but then anyway, I spill all that. And then he just laughs and gives us the passports and goes, have a great time. And we literally didn't get like, we didn't get the photograph thing. We didn't have, often when you go to America, you have to scan your fingerprints on this little pad and you have to get a photograph taken and all of that. But we didn't do any of those things. Um, and I guess it's because we've been so many times in the last year. I keep thinking of applying for global entry, you know, where you just sail through all of that stuff or TSA pre-check and all of that. But uh, I've never done it yet. But honestly, it was just funny that I, I always am so prepared. But he asked one question I wasn't ready for. I just absolutely lost my shit. Manchester, Heathrow, I don't know where we're from. <laughs> just take us in the back room. Send us down now. Search our butt cavities and leave us in a cell overnight. We don't deserve to be here because we can't remember where we've flown from. I don't know what it is. Even though you've done nothing wrong, you just feel guilty, you know, when you're in that situation. I feel the same when I'm driving and a police officer's behind me. I'm like, oh God, I'm going to get pulled over for doing absolutely nothing, for driving at the speed limit and staying in the lanes. The fact that I'm driving so normally looks wrong. It looks like I'm putting too much effort in. Maybe I should swerve a bit so they know I'm normal. Mm. I don't know. Weird. Anyway, so we go to the hotel. Now, the hotel is only for the first night because we are staying in accommodation, a penthouse provided by the gig. 
So for the very first night, we're staying in a place that we've booked because it's still only Sunday. The gig doesn't start until Monday. As it turns out, we could have had the other accommodation from the Sunday, but we didn't know that. Never mind. I did try to sort that out, but a last minute change in their schedule meant that we didn't have it when we could have had it. But, you know, it is what it is. Now, I changed accommodation at the last minute. We were supposed to be staying in a hotel called The Night's Inn, which, to be honest, was a bit of a shithole kind of motelish place about a mile or a mile and a bit out of town. And then, and, and I'd registered to pay on arrival. But then I was thinking, I don't really want to pay on arrival because I don't have cash yet. I don't have American cash. And what if they suddenly lop on all these extra charges and stuff? Sometimes it's weird. So I thought it'd be much better to be fully paid before we go. So I went on to booking.com and I saw the cancellation terms for the place that I'd booked. And I was still in the in the time when I could cancel with no penalty at all. So I looked at some other places and I found loads of stuff for the same price, loads of places cheaper, loads of places a little more expensive. So I cancelled immediately. And then I looked for another place. And I booked this thing called Sonder. It's actually called Sonder The Score. Sonder is a chain of places. And The Score is the name of this particular one. And essentially, it was a self-check-in hotel where you had to do a biometric verification using your phone prior to going. But then they sent you a code for the front door. And that same code worked on your bedroom door or your apartment door. And I booked a studio apartment for $75. And when I got there, I honestly could not believe how big it was. It was an absolutely huge place. Massive bathroom, uh, giant walk-in shower, a big bedroom, nice comfortable bed, loads of pillows, cupboard space, and then a huge like living room kitchenette open area with a view out onto the street. And it was just for the money, it was honestly unbelievable. I was blown away by it. I would definitely look to stay there again if I was going to Nashville on a holiday rather than for a working thing. It was just spectacular. And I'm so glad that I made the decision to change to a different place because um, the place we were going to stay in was further away from town and not very nice. And this place was like $10 more. Um, one thing I will say for Sonder, though, is there were far too many emails and steps. Like, I booked it, but then I got an email saying before I could actually stay, I would have to go onto their website and complete these forms, which I did. And then I had to go back on again and do this biometric verification. And then after I checked out, I honestly had about six or seven different emails between them directly and booking.com asking me for a review or letting me know how things were. It's like, if you get one email for a review and you don't fill it in, maybe a reminder a week later, like, hey, you still haven't reviewed this place. Why not let other people know? I can accept that. But six or seven, fuck off. I don't want to review the hotel. I paid to sleep in it. You got out of me all that I'm willing to give. Leave me alone. We're done. Our relationship is over. Finite piss off. So that annoyed me a bit. But apart from that, the place was fantastic and very well priced. Um, and all was good. And Sarah was happy. So we got showered and everything got changed, headed out into town. We went to a bar that I later found out is owned by Justin Timberlake. And the reason I found out is that in one of my shows, this girl called Kayla that helped with one of the tricks 
came and spoke to me again in the bar afterwards um, in something of a flirtatious manner, I might add. Still got it at 38 years old. Sarah's eyes are rolling because she says that I always say women come on to me. But you know what? Sometimes they do. Uh, not as many as clearly will crack on at my beautiful wife. But every now and again, someone does express some interest in me. Anyway, so while I was talking to her and actually trying to set her up with my friend Frankie, who's actually single, uh, she happened to mention that she worked in a bar in town and she described it a little bit. And I realized that Sarah and I had been in there and it's where we first went on the first night because it looked nice. Well, it turns out, she told me, it is owned by Justin Timberlake and apparently he visits quite often, which I thought was really cool. But it did not have the right atmosphere to watch a Super Bowl. So upon Googling again, I realized that the official Kansas City Chiefs supporters bar is also, there's one in Nashville, so we decided to go there. And we thought it would be a bit manic, and it was manic, but it wasn't uncontrollably manic. So we went in there to watch the Super Bowl instead, and it was, I honestly, I loved it so much. It's a core memory for me. Sarah doesn't really have any interest in sport at all. I think she doesn't mind watching tennis and stuff, but she's not really bothered about watching sport, especially sport that she doesn't know the rules of. But I loved it. Being surrounded by their fans, them all cheering and singing and getting excited, I liked it. And if I'm going to pick a super uh, uh, football team, an NFL team, then I suppose the Kansas City Chiefs are as good as any. You know, I mean, I've seen them play. They just won a Super Bowl. I quite like their kit. Uh, I know a lot about Travis Kelsey. I know quite a bit about Jason Kelsey as well. I've listened to a few episodes of the podcast since the Super Bowl. I think it's very funny. Of course, I know that Travis Kelsey is currently in a relationship with Taylor Swift. And as you all know, I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. So I suppose if I was going to pick an NFL team, then the Kansas City Chiefs are as good as any other for catching my interest. I know who Patrick Mahomes is, the quarterback, and I know a little bit about him. Um, I know more about them than any other NFL team. And I've got to say, watching it in real life live, I watched the Super Bowl last year as well, by the way, from England. Uh, I stayed up until the middle of the night to watch it on TV. But I didn't feel as sort of drawn into it as I did last week. So I enjoyed it a lot. And then, of course, the Chiefs went on to win. And by the end of the game, I genuinely found myself feeling the kind of investment in the result that I feel when I watch Aston Villa play. Like I knew that it really meant something to me. In a sudden moment, I just felt this swell of passion. And in some ways, it was an underdog story because, you know, going into the third quarter, uh, the Chiefs were 10 down, like it was 10 nil, And so... Then they had a big turnaround and kind of went into overtime. And I just thought it was fantastic. And I thought Patrick Mahomes' drive at the end to kind of bring home the game. It was just, it was very poetic. There's a romance to sports sometimes. And I felt it watching that Super Bowl game. So as well as being a uh, Chicago Cubs baseball fan and a Dallas Mavericks basketball fan, I am now a Kansas City Chiefs football fan which you know these things come about fairly organically and that's how it happened for me by actually watching those teams and feeling some kind of affinity towards them the only one that I would say is up in the air a little bit is that I do love Dallas Mavericks and I like watching and I like watching Luca. but if it ever did happen that we managed to move to um, LA or something like that 
I'd probably be inclined to maybe become a Lakers fan instead. Or if we moved to Chicago, I'd maybe be a Bulls fan instead. Or, you know, although actually I quite like, um, oh my God, what are they called? Um, hang on a second. This is bad that I have to Google it. This shows that I haven't paid that much attention to it. I do know what they're called. Golden State Warriors. Jesus Christ. I couldn't think of the name. Uh, if we move to LA, I also, I'd probably support Golden State Warriors over Lakers. Lakers feels a little bit, um, maybe a bit too obvious. And, you know, and then of course... Golden State Warriors have got Steph Curry, although he's not going to play for them forever. But there are some players that I like on the Warriors team. Uh, Draymond Green, Steph Curry, you know, that's there's some good players there. Obviously, LeBron plays for the Lakers, but he won't play for them by the time we get there. So, uh, never mind. Never mind. Let's see who else is in the Lakers team. Uh, Anthony Davis, I know that is. D'Angelo Russell, yeah. Cam Reddish. Jared Vanderbilt. Actually, let's move on from talking about the Lakers with Vanderbilt because I thought we were going to see Vanderbilt's baseball team play while we're in Nashville. Obviously, the season hasn't started, but they did advertise some potential preseason games that then didn't go on to happen. And uh, Nashville have got a team called the Nashville Sounds as well, a baseball team. To be honest, if we move to Nashville, I would happily become a fan of Nashville Sounds baseball team because I'd want to follow a team that were close to where I lived but they're a minor league team so I think it would be okay to follow both a minor league team and a major league team at the same time and I do love the Cubs for loads of different reasons I've toured the stadium the back to the future link um I just think they it's great I really like the Cubs history and all the stuff about it the Bartman incident all of that stuff I think I could find myself behind the Cubs in that instance so anyway that's how I've found myself coming across these uh, teams. Then the Super Bowl finishes. We decide to stay out and go to some bars. And at one point, I look at Sarah, and she is literally clinging on for dear life to the concept of being awake. She's so (laughs) tired that her eyelids kind of look heavy. Her Her head is rested on her hand. She's just almost dead. She's got no energy at all. And I can tell that the lack of sleep and the fact that it's currently 11 o'clock at night, which means it's 5 a.m. at home, has just, and she didn't get any sleep on the flight, of course, is just doing her in. So we decide to go back. And she's very sweet. She's going, we can stay out if you want. Like, yeah, no, come on, let's go. (laughs) Let's go, because you're asleep. So we go back to the place. We get straight in bed and boom, we are done. Baked. It's over. Tired. But one thing did make us laugh. There was a guy with a very, very clear and visible erection dancing on the dance floor. But he was probably in his mid to late 50s and he was a little overweight and he was not a good dancer. But he did have a very visible erection. And he was dancing with a woman that I assume was his wife. And they were kissing in a way that was so disgusting. (laughs) You know when little kids try to approximate what a kiss might look like 
and when they are like kind of mimicking how disgusting it is, you know, when you're at school and you're kind of pretending that your friend kissed someone and you do that kissing gesture with your lips. This is what these two fully grown adults look like when they were actually kissing and rubbing up against each other and his boner was just sticking out and making his jeans stick out the front. And it was making me laugh so much. And it was making Sarah laugh too, even though she was tired. So we saw a guy dancing about with a boner and we were horrified. But um we went back to the we went back to the apartment and all was well. And then we get to Monday, first day of the week, first gig day, loads and loads of stuff to do. I'm gonna tell you this story in the next few minutes and then I'm gonna to have to bail because I have to walk and get my car back from the garage and then I have to drive and pick Sarah and Joshua up from town. So um Monday, we decided to go to Mass Taco. Mass Taco is our favorite taco place in the whole world, and it happens to be in Nashville. Sarah found it the first time we went to LA. Uh, sorry, the first time we went to Nashville. And we've had great tacos in LA too, of course, because it's, you know, borders with Mexico. But um, this place is fantastic. It's been there for a long, long time. And she'd found it online and we'd gone and just fallen in love with the place. And part of going back to Nashville was excitement about visiting this place. We couldn't wait. So we decided on Monday, first day, let's get into our accommodation, drop our stuff, sort out the show things and get my suit ready so that no matter what time we get back, I can make it to work in time. And let's just get out and walk to the taco place. It's like a 45, 50 minute walk. So we walk to the taco place and when we get there, it's closed. <laughs> just absolute devastation, right? So Sarah says, oh, there's a great sandwich place called Bill's Sandwich Palace. Now, sandwich and palace are two words that I enjoy. And the Bill's part didn't worry me or excite me. It was neutral. So Bill's Sandwich Palace sounded like a good idea. That was 20 minutes walk away. We get there. Guess what? It's closed. Two places in a row closed. So Sarah says, well, there's a place called Five Points Pizza, which is like 20 minutes walk away. So we Google it and double check that they're open and they are. So we walk another 20 minutes. What you don't know, though, is that Nashville is one of the most hilly places on the planet. You walk up a hill to get somewhere and then you walk up a hill again to get back from there. It's like an M.C. Escher painting. It makes no sense at all. You just go uphill everywhere. So we walk to the five points pizza place and as we get inside of the door one of the most brutal rainstorms i've ever seen in my life kicks off outside and we realize immediately we're gonna have to get an uber away from this place but we order pizza we get a beautiful gorgonzola uh, blue cheese pizza and it was so so delicious free re refills on lemonades and all that sort of stuff i love american lemonade it's not like um what Americans might not know is that all lemonade in England is basically Sprite. I mean, I know Sprite has got lime flavoring as well, but if you imagine Sprite without the lime flavoring, in England, when people say lemonade, that's what they mean. They mean clear, fizzy Sprite, basically. Whereas in America, when they say lemonade, they mean lemonade, actual, like, slightly yellow in colour, traditional often not even fizzy lemonade, which I prefer quite a bit. It's one of my favorite things. And in fact, strawberry lemonade is my absolute favorite, my number one. But they've got lemonade in this place and it's free refills where almost everywhere in America is free refills too. So we love that. We had absolutely delicious, huge pizza, so full. And uh, then we got in an Uber. 
And the Uber driver took us to a Whole Foods because we had to buy eggs for my show. And then we walked back from Whole Foods in a little bit of rain, but not that bad. Um, the Uber driver was talking about <laughs> something. I wish I could remember the conversation because he kept saying, just imagine if you know 10,000 drug dealers, at least a thousand of those are going to have been to prison multiple times. But I'd guarantee at least 9,900 of those will have been to prison at least once because there is nobody who deals drugs and goes on to have a happy, fulfilled life. Every drug dealer ends up in prison in the end. And it was like I'd said to him, I'm thinking about becoming a drug dealer, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) have you got any advice and he was like we were talking about all sorts of stuff he was telling me that he went on a date and he tried to take a woman on a date to a cracker barrel or an applebee's or something like that and it hadn't gone very well and he was talking about how when he asks women on dates and he said they say he says where do you want to go on the date and they say well where do you want to go and then he says what about applebee's and they say no and he goes what about cracker barrel and they say no and he goes all right then why don't you just tell me where you want to go instead um, and how he finds that very difficult. And then he told me that he knew at least 10,000 drug dealers, which blew my mind. And then he gave me advice against becoming a drug dealer, even though I'd never suggested, even for a second, that I was thinking about it. <laughs> but let me tell you, I definitely won't now. Um just madness but it was a very funny drive and we tipped him and we gave him a good review and we laughed a lot and then we went into Whole Foods and walked back in the rain got to the apartment and that brings us to me then heading out for my first gig night but time has caught up with us and I'm going to do another episode on Wednesday back on regular schedule so I'm just going to upload this now and uh, we're caught up a little bit and then I've got a full week of Nashville to tell you about that's pre-Nashville like up until the Monday wild I'm going to call it Nashville part one uh, all right friends if you listen send me a message here yeah, because I do really like hearing from you makes a difference and um And please do, please just send me a message about anything and uh, I'll speak to you all soon. Yeah, much love. Bye.